imagine you're chasing something your entire life that you think is outside of yourself and you wake up one day and realize you simply had it within. It wasn't in money, marriage, accomplishments, or having babies. The fulfillment is reserved for those that are dangerous enough to find home within themselves. That is my goal here for you. I want you to redefine what rich looks like for you. I'm Jessica Hurley. Welcome to Rich in Real Life. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Rich in Real Life. I am here with another incredible guest, and I'm most excited about this because whether y'all were here or not, I'm about to get my questions answered about what I feel like is something I'm stuck in the middle of. I don't know who to talk to about. I can't seem to find the expert when it comes to scaling your business or pivoting or adjusting to make those margins bigger to be able to grow your business in a real way without pinching pennies. If I can get my questions answered, y'all are lucky you just get to sit in and join the club in on this one. So I am so excited to talk to the founder of the Scaling Blueprint, the Exit Blueprint, uh, which is all the strategy behind scaling and exiting your business as a founder. He has incredible programs to help founders, both e-commerce, service-based, all the sorts to really do this the right way or just reposition how they're looking at their business. And I don't know about anybody listening, but this like, I'm just going to be transparent, like this half a million to a million, like hang me from the tree. I don't know what I'm doing. And then when I start to go ask these questions, it seems like I'm hearing the same exact thing. And so I am so honored and so excited and y'all so ready to get my questions answered about all the things VC, investment, scaling, exiting that is going to come to this conversation. So without a doubt, y'all, let's welcome Gamal Kodner to Rich in Real Life. Let's get it. <laughs> Happy to be here. When we, first time we connected in New York. Yes, yes. And I knew you were it. You behind the scenes. Now you're front and center. Front and center. This is this is, because this is really my test dummy. So I'm my best client. So if it works <laughs> on me, it'll work on somebody else, right? I'm going to jump right in and throw myself under the bus. When I met you, I was like, great, another incredible business owner with scaling business who's coaching and all the things. And then you mumbled off these words. You were like, I sold my business. And you couldn't mention the name at the time. You're like, I sold my business for X multi-million dollars, multi-millions. And I've just, you know, been spending a couple of months off with my family to figure out what's next. And I just remember being like, that's a thing. <laughs> people do that like I have never felt worthy this was a year ago we met and at that point I did not feel worthy to be having the conversation of what it looks like to actually exit your business because I've been in survival for so damn long so <laughs> coming from a very elementary place my question number one is every business sellable, especially like someone like myself who's doing a service-based business I know e-commerce business is a little bit different is every business can it be approached to sell? And then two, if it is, what are most of us doing wrong that we don't get there faster? Great question. So the first thing is technically, I can't announce for how much I sold for because I'm still under NDA. So if I told you, I probably would have said for an undisclosed right. amount, right? For everyone listening, I never told. Contract Did not. Sales I good, never heard a number. Right? Did not. Mm -mm. Um, but with those kind of legal stuff aside, everyone can. And just like you were taken back, that happened to me about half a decade ago, probably, no, actually, oh, wow, time flies, about a decade ago, like nine to 10 years ago. 
I was at a networking event in my 20s and I ran into this random black guy who happened to be Jamaican. I'm Jamaican. And so I was like, oh, I never meet Jamaicans at these type of networking events because I was like networking with other private equity and like uh, accountants, bankers, lawyers. I was uh, in my corporate world. I was a trusted advisor to uh, lower middle market CEOs. So people with uh, five to hundred million dollar businesses, I was part of their advisory team. And I met this guy and I was like, yo, what do you do? And he was like, oh, um, I buy and sell businesses. I was like, what? What are you talking about? Like, what is that? All right. And he's like, yeah, I'm in private equity. I raised $320 million from Goldman Sachs. And by the way, we just sold our, our business to Dell for 900 and something million. I was like, wait, what? What do, you, what do you do? And that was the first time I got privy to the world of private equity and mergers and acquisitions. And so he was like on his way out. But I was like, hey, uh, like, how do, let's let's exchange info. Like, how do I learn more about this? And he gave me two books and um, he was like, here's my info, you know, text my secretary, email, whatever it was, and we'll set some time up. And I happen to be a nerd. So I read both of the books. Um, and by the time we met up, he did like a pop quiz and I, I passed it. And so he's like, you know, seven, eight out of 10 people never take the advice. They just want to like waste my time. So I tell like, thanks for reading that and not wasting my time. And so because of that interaction, a bunch of others, he like I shadowed him for the next three, four years and I learned everything I could. And he sold another business for like half a billion. He sold multiple companies. Eventually, we got so close that he started his own family office and I helped him deploy like 50 million dollars, learning everything about it, figuring out, investing in, growing and scaling real businesses. And so when I got to um, I wanted to stop doing that and I actually raised 15 million dollars to buy my, my own business that failed miserably. I was inexperienced as an operator. I decided to take some time back and like run and operate my own business. So um, it's like a lot different in paper in theory than actually in the day to day. Right. We all know yes. that. Right. There's so many things that just happen. You're juggling so many hats as an investor or, you know, it's easy just to look at the financials and look at a couple things and say, I right, go do it or yes or no. But when you're in the business and your your kid is sick and the car broke down and this and the accident, the family member is sick. You're not in a clear space to like make black and white decisions, like if you're removed from the business. And so becoming an operator and building my own brand and then selling my own brand was easier for me because I've seen it done at a larger scale, but still one of the most difficult things I've done because I wasn't in the trenches. So based on that experience, I can say pretty much all brands are sellable. All businesses are sellable. He and definitely service business and definitely e-commerce business, which is the niche that I spend a lot of time on. And what makes a business sellable uh, is a couple of things. And so before we get to that, what is selling a business? Right. A lot of people ask me that. What is selling? Um, a lot of people, especially in like the underrepresented space, when you sell, if you're a woman owned or black owned and you sell to a majority company, if we get all the media notion about like selling out or turning your back on your crew. And that's such BS, like only 1.7% of all venture capital funding goes to either a minority or a woman, even though combined, they make up about 54, 55% of the population. We only see less than 2% of that. But if you take on venture capital debt, which is like $87 trillion, it's huge, trillion with a T, the expectation is that you're going to sell eventually, either going public or selling to a larger acquirer. So for like the majority who take on money, the expectation has always been to build it and sell it. But because only like 2% of us get access and exposure to this, I was fortunate to be able to do that. 
they don't see that as an empath. And so when a lot of people are talking about exiting, they don't really understand it. So let's start there. Exiting or selling your business is um, you own 100% of it and you either sell some of it in exchange for equity, which is raising VC money, or you sell uh, up to 50, 60% of it, which you have bring on an investor or a partner to help you grow the business, which is the most common path, or you sell 100% of it, where you just give the whole business over to someone to take it to the next level. And the only things that you really need to do as a small business owner to do that is to have something that's strategically valuable. So, uh, you know, a $300 million company isn't going to buy a seven, five, like a seven figure brand for the money. They could go do other things and make that money. They're buying you for community or the audience you're building or something, your special sauce that they can't do. And the other thing is oftentimes we start off and we're the face of the brand and we're the people who people are buying from. And it's great to up to that half a million mark, but between half a million to a million plus, you have to start removing yourself from the business. And that's when a lot of the bottleneck and the friction happens. That's why that half a million dollar mark is so stressful because it's hard for you to do because you've spent years, certainly months, oftentimes years, getting there and you pretty much have to stop, kill your ego and start over with a brand new business while not disrupting the existing business. So it's pretty tough. Those are the two things we should just stay there for a while. Okay. About to get real elementary. Because I've been talking. No, this is so good. Mm-hmm. Again, like I said, this episode is for me and I just let folks listen because this is really for me. So here's my free consulting call. Um, <laughs> I'm going to really get elementary here on how unaware of this I was. Gamal, I don't know anything outside of build relationships, market your services, market your testimonials raise your prices, and then provide a great service and do it cyclically all over again, over and over and over. And it has been just the last year or so where I've met so many friends that are either their businesses are being acquired or they are, they have VC funding. And this funding concept was like so over my head because I'm like, one, give pieces of my baby away. Do you know what I've done to build this? Two, so I'll get to my question about this. I absolutely do feel stuck. I am at that half mark and it feels like I know how to get more money in. I that I can do that, but it feels like it only costs me more to bring in more. So I'm like, are we getting anywhere with this? And if I get to this million mark, am I only going to create minute margins that are unnecessary and they're going to overwork the hell out of me? So then people are like, oh, and I get that all the time. Well, then just go get an investor or go get VC funding or like then you can really scale. And then the question is comes back to me where I'm like, one, what does that even look like? And two, is that the answer? And I think there's so many components to this of like I've had to ask myself, do I want a million dollar business? Do I want to grow to scale at that level? Can I be the business that services at that level? Like is a service-based business supposed to be at that mark? And do I want to give pieces of my, what I've built away, but I have really come to the conclusion and I'd love for you to argue with me that I'm like, I don't think I'm going to get these crazy margins that will allow me to acquire assets and build wealth off of the production side of my business. I feel like I actually have to do other things like add-ons to the business because I've seen the churn and burn cycle inside my production business. If that makes sense. Yep. And so I'll talk from some specific examples on ECOP. So there are inflection points with every industry, which what that means is the amount of effort versus the reward for that effort 
kind of goes and grows gradually. And then the efforts, which you were, so then you, you reach a point, right? Let's say like the 50K mark. And then the amount of effort that's going to get you from like 50K to like 50K per month to 150K per month versus the ROI on that diminishes. So if you're not going to put the effort in to get to that next inflection point, it doesn't make sense. It's almost like if you're driving on a highway and you need to get off, you can either get off at this exit or you have to have enough gas in your car to get off at the other exit. It doesn't make sense to go past this exit if you're not going to make it to the next exit. Does that make sense? Yeah. So a lot of people see this current exit and have ambitions to go into the next one but they don't have what their business takes to get to that next inflection point. So they end up missing out on an opportunity and being stuck in like nowhere land and being stuck on the side of the road in this analogy, right? And so that happens a lot. So you have to know what I'm those on the side of the points road. are. <laughs> I'm on the side of the road. You, you gotta know what the they emergency. are. <laughs> right, you need the tow truck now. I need you a tow messed truck. Up. <laughs> Someone gotta bring you a gallon of gas, get you back started on the highway. Yeah, so triple A got to pull up because, uh, but that's the thing, right? So I'm big on having a North Star, like figuring yeah. out where you want to go and then working your way backwards, right? And saying, all right, does this decision get me closer to it or away from it? And just having an overall like, big picture perspective, because I'm like more of a visionary, helps me to make better decisions and to make sure that each decision, each thought, each partnership, each marketing channel is in alignment with the end goal. And for me, it was always to build and sell my business in three to five years. Mm. Uh, largely, it was started off as an ego thing. I just wanted to say, yeah, I hung out with all these guys who've built and sold companies. It's like, like less than 2% of people are able to do this. I just want to be able to say like, yo, David, who's my mentor that I talked about, or a handful of friends that I know, hey, I was able to do it too. And I lived the experience. And so like it was always in service of building that business. So I knew that I needed to get my business to a certain inflection point before it was time to sell. And if I didn't, it would probably have been another three to four year ride until I got to the next inflection point where it would make sense. And so before you take VC money on, you got to make sure that you are in for the whole ride to the next exit. You can't just take it because you're in a, a tight spot now, unless the plan is to scale fast and then to exit. Because um, I teach my founders this, like you should have a path to profitability period. And you should only grow if you could sustain profitability. Because a lot of the times when you take on VC money, especially as an e-com brand, the expectation is for you to scale revenue so that you can get a new round of investment once you hit a certain revenue threshold. They typically don't care about profitability. And that second investor is then going to grow you to become acquired. So if you don't get acquired, you're screwed. And then also with each investment that they do, they're expecting to return the entire portfolio. So if a fund has $50 million and they give you a million dollars, your million dollar investment is expected to at least be worth more than 50 million. Oftentimes it's two to three X the return. A successful like private equity or VC shop isn't successful unless they three X the return. And the mindset is I got a three X my return or at least double my return with each single investment. So if you're not ready to like take on that hockey stick growth at all expense and lose sleep and scale, scale, scale at all expense, you shouldn't do it. So you mentioned hockey stick growth twice. So explain to us what hockey stick growth means. All right. So looking at your revenue, this is like typical, like linear growth. What people like to see is explosive growth. So like part of the thing too is like if you get the capital, do you know how to turn $1 into five or into 10? So I did take 
a little bit of capital and we essentially 72 77x that investment wow. so for and to put that in terms so for every hundred thousand dollars that you would have given us to grow our brand we turned that into 7.7 .7 million for every million we turned that into 77 a lot of founders don't know what to do with the money they get and they end up they're not efficient they waste it so a lot of the times they're like oh i need investors i need investors i need so much money yeah, you do, but it's probably because you're just not efficient with the existing capital, right? It's like someone who has bad personal credit and they don't know how to budget and they're like making a hundred grand and living paycheck to paycheck. And they're like, man, if only I made a half a million dollars, I'd escape. No, you won't. You're just going to buy a bigger house, a bigger car and still be in the same scenario, right? So it's not the money. The money is just a symptom or the need of money is just a symptom oftentimes of a foundational thing, which is typically like cash flow and typically profit margins and how you like prioritize how you service and how you deliver the products you're selling. There's usually like the actual getting the money is the last part. It's the final piece of the puzzle to like these three or four steps that comes before that. And so that's the other thing that like, people don't know what to, how to efficiently use the money. They're going to run through it if you give it to them. It's like the lotto syndrome, right? Everyone, who, it, it, like yes. 70, 80% of the people who win the, lot, the lotto end up being broke because they never had the process to prepare to receive this large sum amount of money. They were trying to take millions of dollars and spend it on whatever the um, lifestyle they were in before. It doesn't work like that. What is with working with these founders that you are trying to help? And I want to get into why in a minute, but what's like one of the biggest mistakes you see them make or misunderstandings maybe? I think the hockey stick growth thing that I talked about earlier, or like growth, like just really asking why they want to grow, right? And oftentimes they don't have great reasons other than ego. Ooh. And so I, I was, and this is me talking to myself. I had to do a reality check too. I was one of them. I was so caught up in the screenshots of the six figure months, whatever the number is. Right. But now that I'm a coach and I am the coach to your favorite coach and your favorite brand, and I get to see people behind the scenes. Right. Their shit is messed up. <laughs> like, like people are struggling. Like the biggest name, and I'm not saying that in a way to like take away from what yes. they built, right? But it takes more than aesthetics and looks. You have to really start getting into the weeds of your business and understanding the, your business and become a real leader to build something, right? Oftentimes, the brand and the brands that we admire they outsurpass the leadership ability and the CEO ability of the founders. And the founders, it's our responsibility to learn these things that we don't yet know. Because oftentimes this is like the biggest thing we've ever built, right? And so like John Maxwell has a thing called the law of the lid, which is essentially, it's a law, his number one law, which essentially says your business will never outgrow you as a CEO. Like you are the lid or the opportunity for failure for your business. And so that is the biggest thing. People want to grow at all expense and they don't realize what it's really going to take from them personally, emotionally, ego-wise to what they need to rework and things they need to move past to become the leader to run the business that they think they want. And oftentimes it's a big disconnect between where they are now, their skill sets versus like the goals they want with their business. And they don't see that. We're going to get into that in a minute. So I often hear this. And I hear a lot of people blame it on the recession. Is it the recession or is it the mindset or is it both? All right. So it's both. <laughs> the recession absolutely has an impact, right? There are X factors. But I'll give you a story. So that mentor and all the VCs I, I live with, I, I work with, I partner with, 
it's typical that um, they would invest in, I'll tell you a real story actually. So this founder I know, they went from zero to like eight or $9 million in 10 years, right? Great, great accomplishment. They, they were real scrappy and they got to there, which is unusual, right? Only 4% of businesses go past seven figures. How much? Say that again. They're in a league of their own. Only less than 4% of businesses reach seven (laughs) figures a year. Okay. Yeah. So it goes to to the first point, right? Everyone wants a million dollar business. No one has a million dollar business. Everyone is front and only 4% of people. So if all the hundred people on IG that you're seeing (laughs) saying that they have these businesses, the numbers don't make Come on, sense, tell right? them that they're they, tell they, them they that on the Stripe up. account they're dropping down and it's three years of work and it's 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 that <laughs> people do the craziest things because or they may have like a crazy month. Real life example. They'll have a crazy month and they'll be like, Oh yeah, no it's average month for us now. No, it's not. Like your business is about to go out of business now. You did all that sales in one month, now you can't deliver product. You got bad reviews, better business bureaus coming in, Stripe froze your account, Shopify shut you down because you're not sending Now your business is done. Like there's so much to it, but only 4% of businesses actually hit past seven figures, right? And so what these VCs do is typically when they invest in companies who have great businesses like this one, they would oftentimes, the first thing they do is remove the leaders and they'll bring in seasoned CEOs or CFOs and have the founder like do what they're used, like good at, like creative work or product development operation that same example go go, go handle that. operation right yeah not you go let someone else do operations you go like do social or something so that business from zero to eight or nine million dollars in 10 years new leadership they went from zero to nine in 10 in 10 years and then nine to a hundred in two years same products same ig same list same website none of the stuff that people think matters just decision making and so like they've been here before right and so it's kind of like being a first-time parent versus like your second child like the first one they catch you by surprise but the second one you've already seen don't this game don't even try before. it i know and what so you're about to do it's a, <laughs> don't even try it exactly your brother then did that already so that's the same thing right so recession and x factors do happen but that's because we're like new entrepreneurs we haven't been through a recession before where the unseasoned person is um, ambitious that they're going to move past it. The seasoned entrepreneur knows that a recession is coming. They've already put the pieces in place to be able to survive survive the recession. So it's just a difference. Like I haven't, I don't know any any entrepreneur who's really wealthy that hasn't had a season of ups and downs. And so when they're up, they prepare for the down, and they keep things medium. When they're down, they know it won't last, and they've already had the, the plans in place to get back up. It's just the inexperienced ones are kind of like new money where when they're up, they don't think that they're ever going to be down. And when they're down, their ego is so attached to where they used to be just a few years ago. They don't do the things that they need to do to really like adjust for this new reality. And then more so plan and prepare and adjust to get out of this new reality and back to track. And they just stick to what they knew, uh, like in the 2020, 2021, when everyone can make money online and everyone was rich. They're not doing what they need to do now because their ego is stuck on when they used to make a lot of money a few years ago. And I'm not talking to anyone in particular, you know? No, you it's, are. It's just my passion I was like, talking. I feel like we know the same folks. I think we talking. know the same people. <laughs> You're talking about some people I know. Because <laughs> I, I sat in that era. We sat in that era. In 2020 and 2021, you could do a webinar every Sunday and make right. 40 200, 500,000 a webinar. Right. You could rake in cash. You could call it to you. And now 
those plays don't work anymore. And I even, I always take this to a social side of like, nobody even wants to see your perfect webinar. Everybody wants you to be authentic and tell them what's really going on and be a person behind a brand and all the things. And so I'm, I'm listening to what you're saying and you y'all, he's hitting this right on the head because this is the majority of the folks I know that I started with. When you said a moment ago that John Maxwell's rule is literally that you will never do better. Your business will never be bigger than you, AKA based on your mindset and the way that you operate, your business will never be bigger than that. I'm listening and I'm like, pin the tail on the donkey. You're talking to me like, this is me. And I, it feels like those things are invisible, but I know what a lot of those things are. I think I'm just stuck and stagnant on what the best next step is. So for myself and entrepreneurs like me, what is a lot of the things you tell people? Is it books? Is it, you know, obviously like get a coach, you know, there's all the things, but like, what are some of the first couple of things you would tell me to assess or someone like me to assess mindset wise of like, your business is going to be stuck wherever you are. I can tell based on your mindset. A lot of the information out there focus on one type of gap and support and not the other. And both are required. So like personal and business intertwined. If my marriage sucks, if I'm unhappy, if I'm depressed at home, if I don't have a companion or whatever, I can't show up to business and be a rock star and vice versa, right? If I'm losing money over here. I can't show up and be present for my family the way I know I can. And so what most courses teach now are like ability gaps. And so this is like the ad you need to learn. This is like, I don't know, the TikTok strategy. This is how you make a VSL, whatever the thing is. It's like all about abilities and things. Completely overlooks the mindset and motivation gap part. And that is like ability gap and mindset gap are the two gaps. Um, to really have like full transformation. And so that is like, now that you know everything that you should be doing, why are you not doing it? Or why are you not doing it to your full ability? Or why are you self-sabotaging, right? Or why are you saying yes to things that you know you should say no to that aren't in alignment with your goals? And so our program has both. Um, That's one thing that's super unique. We have like this whole like peak performance coaching, like a motivation gap piece where it's like therapy for business where one of the founders literally said, yo, this thing changed, uh, this thing saved our marriage. Like the founder's husband said that actually. He attended one of our retreats and was like, yo, this program saved my marriage. So I just wanted to attend to like be a part of it. He wasn't even involved in the business. And that is the most important thing because there's so much happening. You, you feel so lonely. You just need someone to talk to. So whether it be a therapist or a specific coach that helps in this, um, I think that's a big piece of it because the actual information you know, we teach fundamental things. We teach like, you know, digital marketing fundamentals, like things that have been around since the 50s and 60s. The foundational stuff, like people want health, wealth, and love, right? People want to be want to be motivated. There's like eight um, fundamental things that cause people to take action. The mechanism doesn't change. The thing that people need support on and get stuck on a lot more is like their willingness to do it, their motivation, their belief in themselves, and their uh, reality of what their reality is. And like, you can't know and do what you don't know exists. And so by being around other people who are normal and they're accomplishing these crazy things, it becomes more realistic to you. When I first heard David do this $900 million deal, I was like, oh crap, like this, this guy's a superhero. Then I got right. so much confidence to do it myself because I just hung around him for two years and realized that he was actually smart, but it's like very attainable, the things he just did. It was like intentional. It wasn't like, look, or some magic superpowers, just like information and action and consistency. 
And so I think that is the biggest part that online misses and founders, especially online entrepreneurs, need to invest more in and they pay they don't pay it enough attention. That was a long answer, but I hope that no, I hope that made sense. This is so good. This is so good. Cause I'm because I, I feel like this this last year and a half for this 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 conversation is so important for me because it's been this last year and a half where I feel like I've really actually had to become a CEO. Like I was a salesperson for my business. And then I was like, you know, like deliverables and ops. And then like, this is the first year that like, I'm like, oh, I was today years old when I realized you could be making money in the business, but not be doing well. Yeah. Like there's just so many things, you know, and dealing with team members and burnout and staff and just like, and then the margins being paper thin and still raising my prices, but to keep up with the quality, everything increases and then inflation and the, oh my God, like all these things. And I'm like, what? It's important to realize that the success is not really a destination. It's a journey. So you never really get to the point where you feel like it's taken care of. The goal is to just get better at it and to stress and worry about it less. So you're not, it's not keeping you up at night. And just as long as you continue improving on that, that is what success looks like. It's not like a place where you meet where everything is fine and the, the margins are great, no one's stressing, teammates are great, you have the best rock stars, client acquisitions, cool, because it's never gonna be that. And so if you manage your expectations that it's never gonna be okay, you just wanna get better than you were last month or last year, then that was what success should look like. So I think redefining what it looks like and recognizing that people who are ahead of you or peers we're all going through this and like this is what success should look like for you that takes a lot of the pressure off it too as a founder because we put so much unnecessary pressure on ourselves to try to keep up with our own unrealistic expectations of what we need to be doing managing expectations see i haven't heard that in a while and i'm like i was waiting on like manage the goal manage the staff man, like and sometimes i have to take a step back and i'm like yo calm down you've done a lot in six months facts you're killing it what? killing it thank you in, I'm trying. In the beginning of our coaching calls, we we started implementing. I got this from my friend George. Just what are your wins? And you'd be so surprised. We we did this last week, and the founder was like, "Oh man, my week sucked. You know, this happened with the products. Oh my gosh, the, the last two weeks have been horrible." I'm like, "Okay, cool, but that, those aren't wins. Like, what are wins? Think about it." And then they're like, "I don't have any." Oh wait, no, no, no. Yeah, our revenue's up, and da da da. We made some more profit all these wins, but you don't take account of them. And so part of my daily practice, I try to do it daily. I don't always, I have like a Google sheet of like my vision plan and like my affirmations and then my wins. And I just write them down. And every time I'm feeling down, I just go back and look at the wins, not only like money wins, but like, oh, this person saved our marriage. That's the best compliment I could have ever received as a coach. So it helps me like realize and remember what I'm doing it for. So I just stack wins, whether it's internally or external. And I'm like, oh shit, like this is, I'm doing a lot. This is like real good work. And so that's a great practice for anyone to do, just to stack your wins and to remind yourself of how, how dope you are and how far you've come. Stack your wins. Stack them. So I, I hear what you're saying. And I'm early on, you talked about how like chill out because everybody's struggling right now. Like stuff is hard. We are all faced with different ways of looking at our business. I wanted to ask you, because something that really helps me along the way with being hopeful, you know, I have great, I ride high highs and low lows. And, you know, when a lot of times when I hear what other people are doing, it helps me a lot when I hear that, like, people are going through the same thing that I'm going through or that something I think that is very messy is normal. So, like, the, you know, the core of our conversation is what I keep mentioning is, like, I 
I can bring in, I can double down on clients with my eyes closed. I can post three times more the work that we do and I will bring in two times more the clients and it's that that spin is easy. But learning that that doesn't mean more money, it means more money and it costs me more overhead to do that. And so then I get all cramped up and freaked out because I'm like, you're creating a hamster wheel for yourself. Stop, stop, stop. But then I have conversations with other people and they're like, yo, I'm in the same boat. I'm trying to figure the same thing out right now. We've talked about a lot of the myths and problems. What are some things that like you hear from founders that they're in a panic about and you're like, hey, that's actually part of the game. Calm down. Yeah, that that's a great example. Um, that's probably one of the top two things we support founders on that they don't even know they need to do. Um, so, for example, we would have people who are like, I'm at 50, 60K. I can't get past it. And, you know. My, when I have products, I sell out, but I, I really need these other things. Like I need money or I need a team or whatever, whatever. Um, and then when I go deep into like, how long does it take you to make that product? Which of these 20 products online, like which ones are your top three? And it always boils down that only three or four of the products are the best sellers. And maybe the best sellers, what we found was that one of the best sellers isn't even profitable. So should, is it better to sell that just to hit revenue numbers? or to remove that and actually maybe do 35, 40K per month, but now actually make money. And so like doing this slow born work to become a CEO and like figuring out as a per product or a per service, the profit on that, not the revenue, who cares about that, the profit, and then more so the cash flow from that. Because in some types of stuff, like you could make profit, but you like, for example, you sell coaching or you sell services, you may pay $2,000 to acquire a customer that maybe pays you $1,500 to get a deposit and you may see like a payment plan over the course of the next few months, right? And so if you book, look at the revenue, you're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm spending $1,500 on ads and making 5K, this is good. But you're losing money up front to acquire them. So why would you wanna scale that, right? You gotta figure out a way to at least break even or make money up front. So oftentimes you're much better off not scaling that, having a, a different um, compensation structure or payment structure where you actually make money and having a smaller business that actually makes more money. But no one really ever does the work on like profit and cash flow. It's more so always focused on revenue. Other part is efficiency of employees. Like, do you know what your per employee revenue or per employee profit is? And figuring out how to more efficiently utilize your team. All the time, one of the best things we do, one of the founders came in, her name's um, Sandy. Sandy came in, was working 14 hours, 15 hours a day with a small team. We got her team reduced and her work hours down to two hours per day within the first 30 days. And she is getting more output with a smaller team and her doing less work. She just never went through this exercise of figuring out what's everyone doing? Is there double work? Is there one person who can do the work of two? Is there better ways to structure our compensation so it's incentivized for growth? And just all these other things that no one really has conversations around and no one really talks about on social because it's boring and it's not cool but it's what you need to do to be able to scale and build a sustainable business. Kamal, this is like the gold standard. Yeah. For seriously. like next level CEO. Seriously. Cause I'm listening and I'm like, this is the shit I'm stuck in. And for the first three years of business, I didn't have to do any of this. And now I'm doing all of it and learning it the hard way. And it's all through like mistake trial and error, just over and over and over again. That's it. One of the founders we support says that I only have learned this through near death experiences. And so, I, so she's like, I thank you for sharing this with me. So I don't have to be on the verge of suicide every other month. And so that's it. You only learn it through experience. And so 
you know, when people are like, how much is it to wow. work with me? I'm like, very, it's expensive. But like, it's, you're either going to pay for it upfront with me to avoid the near death experiences and the near bankruptcies, or you're going to figure it out and pay for it in the long run by failing and not hitting your goals or having to shut down your business or not being able to enjoy the life that your business that you're building to avoid, you know, investing in avoiding these roadblocks um, up front. So you're going to pay for it one way, either up front or pay more years for of it. burnout. Correct. Years of burnout trying to because let me tell you what I said this other day. Let me tell you what the scariest thing is. I, don't, I do not care about what y'all got to say. Let me tell you what put my heart in my stomach. What's that? When I saw last year's, I know my last year's revenue. And then I saw Q1 of this year and I said, oh, okay, times that by three, four. If I do the same amount of money I did last year, this year with more staff and working harder, I will shut this whole shit down. Mm -hmm. Like, I was like, if I see the same amount of money and I have hired more staff, I have higher level clients, I'm working what feels like, like you said, 10 to 15 hours a, a day, and I have no free time for myself. I have created, you've said it before, a golden, golden prison. prison. Yeah. And the door is open. Yeah. And I'm like, nah, I'll stay in here. <laughs> we self-sabotage. But it's because it, it's because you're at an inflection point, right? So it's not a bad thing. It's just like when you're starting off and it's maybe you or one other person, it's like the things that you need to have monthly to like survive is very low. So like, you know, you can generate revenue and like, the starting off the gap between your revenue and your expenses is very high the more you grow your expenses tend to scale and one of my billionaire like the the only one of the only billionaires i know actually he commented on a post about that about like hey i said most seven figure founders actually hate the business they've built um but they're pretty much too pregnant to like remove themselves from it right um and he was like that's really the same thing with just overall richness and like um in um like net worth the, he says it becomes a point of diminishing returns where like you're in pursuit of this money but it comes with so many other issues and you separate yourself from like real people that you start to become unhappy even though you're making more money so like what he was saying is everything in life has inflection points so you just have to be willing to like know what it's going to take to get to that next exit on the highway of your business your life your money whatever it is that's pretty cool that hits so hard for me what are the two books that your mentor told you to read? Yeah. So the first one was Barbarians at the Gate. And the second one was this book called Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun about a. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's actually a, a genius title. It's about what we're talking about. Like they have most of the money out there for, to grow their businesses. And so it was like uh, a mixture of a biography and autobiography for the first person who did that, built a, um, a billion dollar business through other people's money. His name was Reginald Lewis. And so that was cool. It was like other perspective on other ways to build a business and what people look at to build billion dollar empires and how you could apply that to your day to day operations for your not so billion dollar company yet. <sighs> let me let me wrap with this. Do the majority of founders that come to you with these overwhelming problems that are obviously trying to either fix their margins, fix the hours in which they work, you know, really like to me, it's really just become this elite CEO at scale. That's it. Are most of their problems fixable? Like, have you ever had situations where you're like, you're capped like this, what this business is, you're stuck. 
or is it most of them are solved? Most of the problems are solvable. Most of the businesses have all been solvable. There are some that have required, yo, the best thing is to just file bankruptcy or the best thing is to shut it down, right? But you wouldn't, I wouldn't let you join to do that. Just be like, yo, just need to shut this thing down. But like, I don't, like, don't pay me yeah, the money, yeah, yeah. shut this thing down. He don't need it. But yeah, so like we have, we're currently supporting a founder who has an amazing brand, scaled, scaled revenue, scaled in stores, but um, the numbers weren't numbering, right? And so they were just so busy being visionary founder, building an amazing brand, but the ops and the finances and too many product SKUs and support, it was too cash heavy, right? Um, like she needed months and months and months of cash to support the business versus running a lean efficient business where you only need a couple months of cash. So the best solution was to just start over and like file bankruptcy and like clear out your debts, clear out your bad debts, negotiate with a couple of people and take this brand and like give yourself a better level playing field so you have more of an advantage to succeed. And so like one of the things in that book was bankruptcy and failure sounds bad to everyone else except those on the inside. And so you hear about how Trump has filed bankruptcy multiple, multiple times and he's, you know, presumably rich. That is part of the plan. That is that is an option that we have as a founder, but our society, our ego doesn't allow us to think that that's a great outcome. And so we're so fail of fear of failure or fear of what other people will think that we don't oftentimes think about that. But real business people go through bankruptcy and restructuring all the freaking time. And so that's recoverable, basically. That's recoverable. That's like worst case scenario. Most of the stuff that we're talking about is, you know, 60 to 90 days, you'll be in a much better shape. Like the person who said her husband said she saved her business, she was ready to quit this thing. And within 90 days, she had like the business she said that she's always wanted to build, but just didn't know how to. Like founder after founder within 60 to 90 days are like, yo, for the first time, I'm actually excited about my business. This thing saved my marriage. Um, like all these are the re the reviews that we're getting within 60 to 90 days. The majority of them are Gamal, fixable. this deserves a better name. It does. This deserves a better name because I'm listening to this and I'm like, no one understands the problem because I could go in on all of the logistics all day with you. But what the real problem is, is I keep having this mirror moment in the mornings where I'm like, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't do this to live in a condo with floor to ceiling windows on the water that and I don't enjoy. ever go outside anymore because I don't have time. Horrible. Because I'm either traveling to someone or I'm working from sunup to sundown. And I'm like, is this worth, is this rat race worth it? Is this what I'm going to do? Jessica, is this really what you're going to do for the rest of your life? Like, is this solvable or do you need to gr bow out gracefully? And am I, you said it, am I too pregnant to do that? Because what do you do when your name rings bells in the streets, but you don't know how to fix the problem that you have? Do you want more? I, I'm being funny, but I'm like, do you want more smoke, Jessica? Is that what you want? Like, you want to keep running up the same hamster wheel or what? The thing is, most founders don't. When, when they're forced with that question, they're like, yeah, you know, I, I want to work with you because I want to scale. And we, we figure out that they actually don't want to scale. They think scaling is going to like get them past this reality of what they really want is just a more balanced life. But they actually want to enjoy the money they're making, right? They want to make money and then enjoy life a little bit better. And so like, it just really depends on where you are at the inflection point. Like you can't turn back. So you mm -hmm. might as well prepare yourself to make it to the next um, exit as gracefully and as happy as possible. So oftentimes like, you know, that's part of the hustle, right? Like if you want to be the 1%, you have to do what the rest of the society isn't. 
but you don't have to do it to the extent that you are. And there are usually better ways to go through it so you can give back some time, right? And just be more intentional about the business that you're building and the prison that you're building and just having a, a better routine or a better schedule that realigns with stuff. And it starts usually by being okay with not growing revenue and focusing on growing your profit, which is really what you want. You want to just be able to have the money to enjoy life. And so oftentimes if you just be, are okay with not growing revenue and itself, instead focusing on profit, that oftentimes buy back some of the lifestyle freedom that you're missing out on too. And so that's a big mental shift for founders. Please highlight how different that is, what you just said, because you, you said it very simply, but growing your profit and growing your revenue, I can grow my, what I've been saying this whole time is I can grow my revenue all day, but it does not grow my profit. Yeah, it's two night and different days. Like everyone's talking about revenues, revenue. Some people are talking about profit. No one's talking about cash flow. Really, we all need to have conversations about profit and cash flow. Cash flow is what you can spend. Cash flow is how you afford your nice home or the cars you drive and the vacations and the trips. That is what you have. And so um, why I know this is because I was in a near-death experience scaling revenue, six figures per month in my brand. I lost my ad account. And I only had, at that point, like two months left of cash. Because e-commerce is kind of a Ponzi scheme. If you're growing fast, you kind of have to get new revenue each month to like support your decisions that you made in the past. And the minute like something happens where you can't keep up with the pace, you realize you got like 95K in Amex debt that you got to pay in a few days and all these other things. And so I realized I was focused too heavily on revenue. And what happens is I was doing way too freaking much. And so a lot of the founders that I support, the plan to go from revenue to profit is literally to do less work, get rid of the old SKUs, stop doing all the services, figure out which service or products are your most profitable, require the least amount of effort and the least amount of team members and double down on that. Most people to, who get to half a million dollars a year are smart enough to figure out what one or two things that is and just focus on simplicity. Like the reason Chick-fil-A is the most, is more than double the profit than the next lead in fast food chain, which is McDonald's is because they have a third of the menu items. They have about 16 or 19 menu items versus McDonald's who has 50 something menu items. Simplicity scales, complexity doesn't. And so a big part of figuring out the shift from revenue to profit is simplifying your business. Simplicity scales and complexity doesn't. Revenue to profit includes focusing on simplicity. This goes for so much because I'm sitting here thinking about how many people have told me like, I've had situations in passing where people are like, oh, I could do what you do. And I'm like, it's not that anybody could do what I do. It's that it's the way in which I offer it. I offer it. It is all about the offer. It is the way in which we offer it that makes it so attractive. It is. And it's because the offer is simple. That's it. Exactly. I make it as simple, simple as possible. I'm going to make this. Yes. Very simple for you. Like, A no brainer. You did this post where you were speaking at an event. And I just caught wind of the reel of it. And I loved what you said. And I don't know exactly what you were talking about, but it sounded like sales. And you said, stop focusing on the money or the discount. Focus on making your client the hero in your story, in their story yeah. or in your story. And I was like, oh my God, that resonates with me so deeply. Like my business has been hundred percent referral based at this point. And it, and I know it's because I have some of those values Explain to my audience what you meant by that. Yeah, I did a keynote at Amazon and that's where that clip was from. Like if you had to answer this one question, if you could only do one thing in your business to grow, what would that one thing be? 
And for me, it is just focusing on having your customer be the hero. And that in itself will compound. And so a lot of people, especially in like service-based uh, expert businesses or even e-com businesses, they think that their product is the thing that get, gets all the attention. And they don't realize that it's just in service of supporting your customers. Your customers are the actual um, heroes. So our products that we sold, we sold grooming products for black men, um, men with beards. And it's really easy to say like, oh, our product is the best. It has all these ingredients. It has all these reviews. No one really cares about that. That got some traction. What got a lot of traction was if we essentially just gave our products to allow these men to show up as the person that they wanted to become. So our men were like alpha male. They wanted to grow and move up in the work world. They were high performance men. They wanted to launch businesses. And we just pretty much focused on that and supporting them in that way and allowing our products to just help with their confidence so they showed up. So when they had the fitted suit, the nice clothes to make this presentation, this is the other thing that like, you know, like closed out the loop in their added minds on. that added it on. And so we just focused on that. We they, they could care less about what was in it. They just knew that when they had it on, it made them feel confident and they were able to take on the world. And so that was a big aha moment for us in building our brand. Like we never thought that we were selling product. We always thought that our focus as a company was to build the best community for growth-minded African-American men and just supporting them in their journey. And if they wanted to support us, they can buy our products. But if they didn't, our mission was to just build the dopest community for high-performance men. And so that was a big takeaway that I wanted to share with the people at Amazon. Wow. When you started the sentence with what would be the one thing that you would do in your business, I thought I immediately went to my favorite part, the only part that I will continue to do. Every time I get someone to come in and assess my business and they start to try to take shit off my plate, I'm like, the one thing you won't take away from me is working with the creator to help them identify to comb through like the true authenticity and the actual map behind their story to create the content with. Mm, and good. really that is, it is that equivalent. It's making them the hero. Like they come to me with like, here's my life's work. And usually it's actually very similar to what you and I have talked about that 2015 to 2021 era of like, this is how I do business. And now I want to go share it with the world. And I only know how to educate. And it's like, Oh, but you're so much more than that. And then they tell me all these things and I'm like, Oh, you're a wealth of experience and knowledge let's package this and turn it into like, you know, a series of content. I would never take that away. That's my IP. That's my favorite thing to do is to pull that story out and make them the hero of their life's work to share with other people. Yeah, that's so good. Like we teach this concept called the snake that's going to kill you first. Become a better CEO. You just really need to become better at decision making. And so everyone knows about like the 80-20 rule. You should only, de you should delegate 20% of what you do is 80% of your outcome. The thing is, it doesn't tell you what 20 to focus on. Mm. And so what things that you're uniquely capable of or that actually moves the needle. And so the snake that's gonna kill you first is a concept that it's like an analogy I heard of a story of an inexperienced person and an experienced person in a swamp with a machete in the back of a boat. And all these snakes just kept coming over the boat and coming towards them. And the fat snakes, loud snakes, quiet, all sorts of snakes making noise. And the inexperienced person just started swiping at the snake that was in front of them, but they let the dangerous snake go past and kill him, where the experienced person knew to not be distracted by the ones that were loudest or were nearest to them. They only focused on the snake that was the one that could kill them first. And so they survived longest. And as a founder, if we want to survive, because this is about survival, 
we need to know where we should put our attention and where we should not be distracted. And so what you're describing is that like, you know, even though outside looking in, this sounds like a big distraction and it's near to you and it takes up a lot of your time. That is your superpower. That's the one thing that you need to focus on in order to move the business further. And so kudos to you, because most people would be like, oh, I'm the CEO. I need to like, this could be automated. This could be like a jot form or this could, you know, here are the questions to ask, but it's more to it. And that's like the hidden sauce and the secret sauce that makes you special. So kudos to you for noticing that because most people don't. I, oh, that's so good that you're saying this because I've had so many people that are like, that could be that could be a request form or whatever. But then I then I have conversations with people who are like, I'll, I'll I'll book a call with like an agency to like see if there's some some wiggle room there and alignment. And the first thing they always they start getting into client acquisition and they're like, we can transition calls and we can this and we can that. And I'm like, y'all, I, I close every call. Like, I promise you I'm at 92%. And they're like, there's no way. Then you don't <laughs> have a, a bad day. Well, then you should have more calls. And I'm like, no, no, no. Because I get on, they give me the vision. I 10 exit. It's very simple. And then I'm like, oh, and I can execute it. So do you want it or no? Like, I'm like, I will never take that off my plate. I will never hand that to you because it will take off. It will take away from the authenticity of my business. One, it it is my IP, two. And then three, I'm now building a network. And when I turned around and looked at it, I said, oh, look at the irony of all the 40 plus shows that we work with. They're all thought leadership. They all hold the same values as me and they all help progress their listener into some significant transition because I only took on and connected with clients that I could use that IP with about helping them with their story. There's nothing wrong with that. That's that's super dope. Thank you. Yeah, it definitely created something different and I had to fight for it. Like, get off your sales calls. I've, I've had people get on calls and they're like, <laughs> I didn't think I was going to talk to you. And I'm like, nope, I'm here because this is the most important call. There you go. <laughs> I got exactly. somebody that can handle logistics. This was incredible. Gamal, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Like, thank you. And tell my audience where they can stalk you more. And then please give some details about this scaling blueprint, exit blueprint, what's next and where they can find more. Great question. So uh, codner.co is our website. Gamal Codner on Instagram is my most uh, used social platform. And you can find information about both of our programs. We essentially are, um, I didn't even talk much about my wife, but we're a duo. She left her high high paying um, corporate job to come on and run operations when we ran our brand. And we like 5x the business so I could like focus on marketing and that stuff and she could worry about team ops and systems. And so we typically work with visionary founders who are like us imagine like we're creatives, we have a bunch of ideas, but we juggle too much. We don't know how to delegate. We don't know how to lead teams. Um, I help you become more like the people that we should be. So we've effectively created an online MBA program for now e-commerce founders who want to learn about finances, ops and marketing like fundamentals so they can grow and scale past their current bottleneck and build a business that they actually enjoy again, right? And so for we have two tracks, people who want to just scale. Um, that's our most common track. And then we actually work one-on-one -on -one with founders who want to scale with the intention of building up their value to get an investor or to sell in the next two to three years. So scaling blueprint and exit blueprint are the two ways we currently support founders who want to have a better life as an entrepreneur. Amen. You're literally screaming my name. Got it. I heard you loud and clear. All right. 
And so everybody, you guys- This was a dope convo. This was, thank you so much. I hope you guys got as much value out of this as I did. This is literally what I wanted was I literally feed off your content and I'm like, this man clearly knows what he's doing and you have a heart for founders. And so anyone building a business, I just, I hear too often people like, oh, I just need funding. I just need funding. And I'm like, you don't know what you need. Like <laughs> coming from what I know, what I've seen and what I've experienced on my own, I'm like, you don't know what you need. And so I wanted to have this honest conversation with you and you delivered on that. So I can't thank you enough. Guys, go follow him. Gamal, thank you. Appreciate you for having me. Y'all, that is another episode of Rich in Real Life. If this episode filled you the way it filled me, Tag me while you are listening at Jessica Hurley underscore so I can say hello, share this with a friend or someone in your network who you know is in need. And please don't forget to write a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening platform because it helps us continue to spread the message. And if you want more from me, Rich in Real Life, or any of the other conscious creators that we work with inside Epic Media Network, head over to epic.co for more. Until then, I will catch y'all next week on another episode of Rich in Real Life.